It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Chip Chat an interview series that connects you with technology experts around the issues that industry is focused on today. And now your host, Allison Klein. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from HPE Discover in Madrid, and I am delighted to be joined by Rafael Davison, Worldwide Director of Blockchain at HPE. Welcome, Rafael. Thank you, Allison. It's great to be here. First, thank you so much for taking the time out of, I'm sure, what is a busy schedule at Discover. I'm very excited to talk to you about HPE's plans in blockchain. So let's just get started. And first question, what does it mean to be the worldwide director of blockchain at HPE? Well, it means I get to uh, wake up every morning and do something uh, new that hasn't been done at HPE since the day before. So... <laughs> My responsibility at HPE is to lead the worldwide team to develop uh, blockchain technology, services, differentiated architectures, etc. for HPE. So it's a really fun and uh, unique job. Now, blockchain has been um, a much ballyhooed uh, technology within the industry for the last couple of years. Um, historically has been tied in conversations to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, but means a lot more. Can you tell me a little bit about what is blockchain and why this is such an interest uh, to um, HPE and your enterprise customers? Sure. Well, you hit on an interesting point. You know, blockchain is so new to so many people. They've heard the word blockchain, but they, many of them immediately think Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Bitcoin is a use case. It's the most mature use case, uh, but it's just one use case for overall blockchain and distributed ledgers. So blockchain is important to us at HPE because it's important to our customers. Uh, we've always been a company that innovates uh, um, and looks to new technology to help our customers run their businesses. And uh, last year... Uh, we started hearing a lot of uh, questions coming from our customers. What is HPE doing with blockchain? How can you help us with blockchain? So we had a number of people throughout HPE in 2016, all across the globe, all different roles, salespeople, technology people, just innovating in blockchain all on their own. Uh, And our labs organization said, you know, uh, this is really catching on. Let's try to formally create a project team. So in January of this year, um, I was asked to lead the team, and we formed our blockchain team. And one of the first things we did was contact our customers. Um, By now, we've spoken to 50 to 60 of our customers to really understand, are you working with blockchain? If so, how are you going to use it? What are your issues? What are your uh, experiences with it? And we learned a few things. Uh, One of the first things we learned is that from a financial services was by far the largest uh, group of customers that actually were using and experimenting mm-hmm. with blockchain. 
We found that each one of those financial services firms had innovation teams, and blockchain was one of the top three things they were working on in those innovation teams. Uh, Internet of Things and um, customer experience were other ones. Um, and that they were using primarily the three biggest platforms. There's, there's many platforms. I think last time I read Gartner said there's like 80 different mm -hmm. blockchain platforms. But the ones they were using primarily was R3 Corda, mm -hmm. Ethereum, and Hyperledger. Mm -hmm. uh, and financial services was primarily uh, R3 Corda. So when we looked at our project and said, okay, what can we do to help our customers? We said, you know what, let's focus on our financial services customers, since they're the ones using blockchain the most. And let's see what we could do with R3 Corda. It's a wonderful distributed ledger sure. platform. Uh, it's uh, mature. It's been around, I think, since 2013. So in the world of blockchain, this, this startup <laughs> ecosystem, they're like the old timers. Mm -hmm. We said it runs terrific, but from our customers' perspective, especially in financial services, Corda meets the functional requirements, privacy between individual uh, members of a transaction. Um, it has, uh, you know, manages smart contracts, et cetera. So it has some very uh, good aspects from a functional requirement, but from a non-functional requirement for banks... You know, they need these systems, especially if they're mission critical, to be always on, always available, resilient, scalable, et cetera. We said, you know what, maybe what we can do is we can take uh, R3 Corda and marry it to our uh, HPE mission critical nonstop uh, architecture, which is the premier uh, server for uh, resiliency. In fact, two out of every three credit card transaction in the world is running on HP nonstop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if we can marry the two, we can help our financial services customers give them the blockchain, the, the distributed ledger platform that meets their needs from a financial services regulatory perspective, but also meets their needs from a non-functional perspective. I'm sorry, from a yeah, non-functional requirement mm -hmm. perspective. So that's what we did. We created and we announced uh, just recently in our press release the mission-critical distributed ledger technology, the mission-critical DLT, which uh, customers uh, can run either on-premise mm -hmm. or uh, for pilots and uh, proof-of-concepts uh, remotely as a service. So that was one of the things we did, and it's important to us because it's important to our customers. The second thing we, we did was because the ecosystem is so fragmented, it's dominated by startups, you have Ethereum, you have Corda, you have Quorum, you have Chains, you have all these different things. Mm -hmm. Customers said, you know, we need help understanding this landscape, understanding what we should focus on from the perspective of how will blockchain affect our business models. And then once we have our business model kind of redesigned to take advantage of blockchain, how do we translate that into a technology architecture? So we partnered with the likes of uh, Pricewaterhouse and, and others, Accenture, et cetera, to try to to develop a relationship there so that we can help or be involved as the customer's business models transform. Sure. And then our Point Next Services organization created a blockchain discovery workshop where we will meet with our customers, uh, help them with their blockchain strategy, help develop a, a first use case that might help them begin their exploration with uh, blockchain. And then we have a hackathon uh, where we could take that use case in over a three-day period Customers, developers, 
and our developers will get together and actually create a uh, blockchain application that the customer can use to begin their experimentation. It could be Ethereum on Azure. We've done development on SIA networks, obviously on R3 Corda. So from point next, they take an agnostic perspective. Mm -hmm. But those services and our mission-critical DLT really were the first things we did to try to help our customers uh, with their blockchain journeys. Now, this is fantastic because I think this gives um, the customers that you're working with a the trust that a brand like HPE yes. is moving in this direction and they're giving them technology that can take them a little bit further on the journey. Right. Um, tell me, when you're talking to financial services companies, what is the primary driver for them to take this leap with blockchain? Yeah. What is the financial benefit for them? Well, um, if I recall... Um Goldman Sachs estimates, and I can look up, I have it here, uh, I think 2 to $3 billion of annual savings for U.S. financial services firms. Wow. Um, I think it's $6 billion globally. So it's kind of like a frenemy, right? You know, they know that if they hear everybody saying, well, they're going to be disintermediated. Mm -hmm. You don't need a financial services firm to be able to exchange value between you and me. On the other hand... Uh, there's significant opportunity for better customer experience for significantly lower cost so they and new products and services. So they know that they need to either capture this and really understand how to leverage it or you know there'll be new uh, there'll be uh, new entrants in the uh, in markets and new competitors that they'll have to deal with. So they're very actively uh, experimenting with it. Um, when we talk to them, in addition to the ability to you know, use it to creating new business models, and if you want, I can share some of our customers of pretty uh, clever areas where they're looking to expand their business models. Uh, but one of the other requirements that they're really interested in is enhanced security. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're so excited working with Intel, because uh, we're the SGX chip, the trusted execution enclaves, the ability uh, uh, to be able to... Um, have uh, executable and data sitting in a uh, secure enclave mm -hmm. uh, so that you can maintain privacy, but you can still have access to you know, the output of that, um, zero-knowledge proofs and things like that. Uh, very exciting technology that we're looking to see if we can use that to add on to what we've already done, both with uh, R3, Corda, and Ethereum. Yeah, I would assume that when you go into a distributed ledger, um, it the amount of security that's present within that ledger becomes a little bit more important. You know, where do you store the, the keys, mm -hmm. right? One example is pretty interesting, and I have a chart I do for some customers. If you think about um, what we call blockchain 3.0, let me just pause the step back for a minute. So we took a look at the evolution of blockchain, and we said we see the use cases evolving through three phases, and they overlap. It's not distinct... But uh, the first blockchain 1.0 we say is, you know, people transacting with people, Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, et cetera. You know, open, uh, heterogeneous uh, networks, tr transparency of transactions. Enterprises we call blockchain 2.0, that's enterprises transacting with enterprises. That is 
private permission networks with known members. Think of your email system at work. Right. You have to go through a lot of uh, checking before you have an account. You are who you are when you get an email in your corporate system. So closed uh, networks where the members are identified executing transactions that are pretty predictable. Blockchain 3.0 is the future, and it's the integration of blockchain, the Internet of Things, um, the edge, the intelligent edge, mm -hmm. etc. So when you think about the edge, think about the insurance company, insurance uh, use cases for usage-based insurance contracts. Excuse me. Um, if I'm a safe driver, I want to be able to pay the least amount of money for my insurance because I'm a safe driver. Uh, so I'd be willing to allow the insurance company to be able to, to recognize that I'm a safe driver. So have the car capture my driving habits. But I don't want to share that information. I don't want the insurance company to know where I've been driving, uh, who, where I've been going. That's my private information. Mm -hmm. So how can, I, how can the insurance company have the trust that I'm a safe driver but I have the trust that my information is held private. Well, that's where trusted execution enclaves like SGX come into play. Because I could take that chip and I could throw it in the car. And that car can capture all that information, my telemetry of my driving habits. And then the insurance company can send a query to the enclave, is Raphael a safe driver? It can execute, it can run the data, and it can answer yes. So the insurance company can trust the information coming out of the SGX chip in my car because it's stored in the Enclave and the executable, they developed it. But I can trust that the Enclave is keeping my data safe in the car. So when you think about the Internet of Things uh, and the security, security for privacy, security for my digital keys, security comes in on so many levels. And technology like uh, SGX and trusted uh, uh, execution enclaves, I think, is a very important piece of that. When you, you, you just describe a great example of insurance, and we've talked about financial services. Mm -hmm. When you look at that blockchain 3.0, yes. I would assume that you're seeing a tremendous amount of different verticals, different industries yes. Yes. applying blockchain. What are the most interesting ones that come to mind? So there's a few. Um, that example I gave you, think about, instead of car insurance, think about your medical records. Think about an insurance company for, uh, or even you, your own medical records. Your medical records right now are sitting in a database with your doctor. There's another set for a specialist. There's another set in a uh, hospital. You can't see, I'm waving my arms. Um, there's not one set of records. And there's also a question in privacy. You know, who owns my records, right? So there's a very interesting use case. You could find it in uh, just Google uh, Beth Israel Medical Center and MIT. Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center up in Boston and MIT created something called MedRec. They actually used the uh, Bitcoin uh, platform to allow... Uh, different uh, medical providers, it's a closed private network, to allow different medical providers to store links to their own databases of interactions that you've had with the doctor. So it, me as a consumer, I can go into my ledger and because they're all synced, I can see a history of, okay, I visited my doctor, the doctor then sent me over to a specialist, the specialist sent a 
prescription to an insurance company for an expensive medical procedure, the insurance company can say, hmm, is this fraud? Is this real? Does the medical history justify this expensive prescription? Well, they can go in with permission into the distributed ledger and say, I can see the whole history. Yes, this patient went here and here and here. Okay. So medical history, um, uh, supply chain, huge opportunity for supply chain. Um, and supply chain also has an advantage of the fact that right now the supply chain happens, the transactions in supply chain kind of happen at the same pace as a truck can drive or a ship can sail across mm -hmm. the ocean, which because of the immaturity of the blockchain platforms as they are today, that's the kind of speed it can handle. So supply chain, keeping a history of whatever the case may be, is a very interesting one. And then there's other, we're working on a uh, project with one of our partners, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, called a digital twin. And a lot of um, a lot of entity companies are working on digital twins. So think about a jet. If you imagine a jet as a million parts flying in formation, if you want to know the health, how well is that jet, uh, and you want to keep those jets in the air, they earn about $100 million a year in revenue, so you want to keep those planes flying. Okay. If you can have a ledger for each one of those parts, from were they uh, created by a validated and authorized manufacturer. You don't want gray market parts in your plane. And then what is the history of those planes? So having a digital representation of all those million parts and every time that jet lands, two to three terabytes of data gets offloaded and needs to be processed on the edge. You need security, you need uh, uh, AI, and then a certain subset of that data needs to be posted into the ledgers. And then those ledgers need to be distributed across the airlines, the airports, the regulators, the suppliers, the manufacturers. Really cool uh, use cases. Mm -hmm. So travel, transportation, um, uh, supply chain, and obviously financial services, those are the kinds of uh, use cases that we're seeing and talking about. That's fantastic. Now we're at Discover. Yes. Obviously a great place to have conversations about the, the new uh, offerings that HPE has. Yes. What are you most excited about this week in terms of engaging with customers on blockchain? Oh, yeah. I am so excited just to talk to customers. I just like talking to customers. There's so much excitement around blockchain. And even people who kind of don't know what blockchain is, they want to talk about it. They know it's something that's, mm -hmm. that's happening. So just to understand the great use cases and ideas, stuff that we never thought of, think about the early 90s. I was the CIO for a management consulting company. And I actually remember when I went and asked my boss, can we have, can I have some extra money for this new thing called email? <laughs> right? 1991. I mean, 1991, if you look back, that is when the web was invented. The first website was posted globally in 1991. Mm -hmm. And I was there asking my boss for the, And he says, you know, what do I need this for? I said, you could type an email and you could send, you want to tell Jim, our CEO, a message? Just type it up, hit a button. And Bob, he was a great guy, but he was a grizzled old CFO. And he says, what do I need that for? I tell Marie what I want to say. She types it up and she hands it to Jim. Mm -hmm. So, well, Bob, you know, this email, and he was, I couldn't explain it. Well, what about the, the partners overseas? He says, well, Marie will type it up and fax it overseas. What do I need this email thing for? And I was asking for the money, and I had trouble 
getting my arms around. I just knew it would work. And can you imagine, in 1991, we would think about things like Google, Facebook, and Twitter, mm-hmm. and all the inventions that happened because of the Internet? Yeah. Well, we're at the same point now. And when I talk to customers, they come to me, and they have these great ideas and great thoughts, stuff you never thought of that, hey, can you use blockchain for this, or I want to use it for that? It's just so fun to hear all these uh, ideas. And it helps us because, you know, we're incubating new products and solutions for HPE. So what should the next things we look at incubating? We create these products. We get them born. These babies are born. They grow up. And then we give them to our business units to be able to commercialize and sell. So hearing that feedback from our customers is what help us keep our focus on what's important to them. Well, thank you, Raphael. It's been an awesome interview. Um, I'm excited to see HPE's progress in this space. Yes. I'd love to have a follow-up conversation with you sometime as sure. you see your customers advance with their blockchain trials and actually move into live implementations. Yeah. Um, one final question for you. Where can folks find out more information about HPE's offerings on blockchain or engage with HPE to learn more about a trial? Sure. So if anyone's here at Discover, we have a lot of terrific uh, blockchain events. We have um, a blockchain panel. We'll have experts from R3. We'll have an expert from Consensus, who's a uh, leader in Ethereum. Uh, we'll have a, our leader from our Point Next Services organization and a financial services expert. Um, on Thursday, I'm doing a half an hour innovation session uh, presentation. Um, and you can just uh, Google HPE and uh, blockchain, and there's a lot of resources on our, our website where we could talk about blockchain in all the different areas. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. We are coming to you from HPE Discover in Madrid, and I am delighted to be joined by Kanan Mani, Worldwide Principal Architect of Enterprise Data and Analytics Platforms at HPE. Welcome. How's it going? Good. Thank you. Thanks for the welcome. So, Kanan, why don't you just uh, start by introducing your role at HPE and how that relates to delivering solutions to the enterprise? Yes, sure. Thank you. So, I'm Kanan Mani, as you introduced me. Um, so, I'm a worldwide uh, senior principal architect here, especially focusing on data analytics solutions in HPE. Uh, my job is to make sure uh, more for most of our customers and partners to deploy uh, the SQL Server solutions on our platform effectively, right? So we make sure we architect in such a way customer can go peacefully deploy this solution um, without making sure that HP has already verified it along with the Intel so that they can go deploy it and with expected performance what they can uh, go deploy it. Now, you know, I think that you've probably been in the data center arena for a while, so have I. Infrastructure and solution configurations have gotten more complex as um, the portfolio of applications with residing in a data center has grown. Why is this nature of verification and optimization um, by HPE in concert with Intel such a powerful topic for enterprises? Absolutely. It's a great question. So I think as I said earlier, 
customers don't have time to really validate their solution. And this, what it means to customer is like, okay, HP in partnering with Intel have already validated the expected performance, what they can get by deploying SQL Server 2016 on this current platform. And Intel Select Solution has given certain norms, certain metrics, which we need to cross it. So with HP's value, like using HP's uh, the latest Gen 10 hardware, along with the SQL Server 2016 deployment, we kind of did a base configuration and also a plus configuration so that customer can choose what kind of configuration they need and they can deploy it and they can be assured that this is they can get the expected performance what they need. And I think you hit a really important point. They just don't have the time for pre-validation anymore. Absolutely. Uh, they need to integrate in with their um, instance of SQL 16 into their configuration. Tell me how this has impacted um, the opportunity to talk to partners about that planned migration to SQL 16 on Gen 10 HPE servers. Yeah, so SQL 2016, as you know, and I think we, Microsoft recently introduced 2017 as well, um, there are still customers running on our old generation, Gen 8 and Gen 9 platform. As you know, Gen 10 is making a lot of noise because Gen 10 is a secure platform, especially with working with, Gen, with Intel, Intel's latest processor, and it keeps them completely secured. That's one. Mm -hmm. And for databases, as you know, you need to have real secured, isolated platforms so that intruders don't get access to a database, first of all. Mm -hmm. So we take care of that. And on top of that, SQL 2016 itself is a pretty robust uh, database where you can have all your security encrypted database so that customer can have the, uh, the level of confidence they can go deploy it. So we kind of give the best practices for each level. Like what kind of best practices customer would follow on the platform level, right? At the firmware level, at the, at the SQL server level, at the database level. So we kind of give them all those details so that customer can just literally follow that guidelines and go deploy. That's fantastic. Um, tell me a little bit about the collaboration between the two companies in creating the solution and how you guys work together um, to bring this to market. Great. So again, I, I mean, I always loved working with Intel. Um, so working with Intel has been fantastic so far with us because Intel engineering and HP engineering worked really well. So Intel kind of gives us, okay, look, this is something we are looking for our customers to go deploy it on this kind of platform. And HP also aligns with the same kind of uh, requirement for our, our, our customers and partners too. So it makes uh, you know, perfect sense to make these two companies to work together and then also make sure they validate together and also verify that what are all the metrics customers are looking for so that we both can promote the solution. Now, obviously, this one is um, in market. Mm -hmm. um, when you think about um, the type of customer that is um, prime for this, this particular solution, is it pan vertical? Or are there specific verticals that you think are you know, the early markets for adoption? Great question, again. So there is no specific vertical or horizontal attached to it. It can go across anything. It can go to any vertical or any horizontals. It can do it. As long as they're trying to deploy SQL Server solution on an OLTP-based solution, mm -hmm. or a HTAP, you probably heard this new word, it's called hybrid transaction analytical processing. What does it mean is you can put your OLAP workload and OLTP workload together. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it gives the customer 
a converged kind of infrastructure where they can run both the workloads on a single platform. Now, you mentioned Basin Plus configurations. If a customer is trying to choose which one, where would you guide them in terms of choosing between Basin Plus? Is it a pure performance game or is are there other variables in play? It's based on the pure performance. So we use on the base configuration, we use a bunch of SSDs mm -hmm. and NVMe drives along with our HP scalable persistent memory. And there's a threshold about making it around like 5 million transactions mm -hmm. on that particular base configuration. On the plus configuration, we have just NVMEs, Intel, Intel NVMe drives, along with HPE scalable persistent memory. There you can expect up to nine, 9 million transactions. Mm -hmm. So you can choose between your 5 million and 9 million, whichever you want to go for it. And that actually gives a ballpark for the customer to go choose this. Fantastic. Now, I know that this has just been released. Um, any early indication of interest from customers in the space? Um, there are. I mean, our customers always look for proof points, right? Mm -hmm. The data points. And, and we are actually tweaking up a little bit on some of those uh, configurations, and customers always look for this kind of documents. Our documents are available in our area library. And if, if at all someone wants to go look out for all of our reference architecture or solution guideline documents, the website they need to go to is hp.com slash info slash dm dash ra. Fantastic. Well, Conan, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's been a real pleasure. Um, any final thoughts about um, the solution that you've got in market or any other final thoughts for customers who are considering an evaluation? Um, absolutely. So we would definitely help out whatever customer, if they want to do a proof of concept, we will mm -hmm. help out on that. Um, because proof of concept, generally, many customers you know, try to get to it, but it takes longer time for mm -hmm. them to just go test it out. The good thing about Intel Select Solution, because that proof of concept is already done for them. Mm -hmm. Because we got the document, and, all, and then again, we got a stamp between Intel and HP for the document itself. So customer can feel confident, they can go deploy it, right? Mm -hmm. And then provided they have two companies behind them. Well, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank you. It was you. a pleasure. It is a pleasure to me as well. Thank you so much. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from HPE Discover in Madrid, and I am very happy to be joined by Bill Philbin, Senior Vice President and General Manager of Storage Hybrid IT at HPE. Welcome. That's a mouthful, isn't it? It's, it's quite a title. It's <laughs> impressive. Well, thank you for joining My to us today. Bill, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience and talk a little bit about the purview of your organization and how it fits in with HPE's overall charter. Sure. So I, mean, I have the, the pleasure of, uh, of you know, sort of managing the storage business of Hewlett-Packard, which has several thousand employees, and I'm just primarily the spokes model. All the hard <laughs> work gets done uh, behind the scenes with those uh, touted uh, men and women. Uh, we are a, a part of sort of hybrid IT, and hybrid IT really is an organization that's focused on providing enterprise infrastructure from our customers from, you know, Rack and Tower to Blade to Synergy to hyper-converged uh, storage and networking. Um, and the storage business is obviously a significant part of that. If I was uh, 
Ptolemaic uh, version of the world versus a Galilean version of the world, I would say everything revolves around storage. But <laughs> unfortunately, uh, everything revolves around the customer and the way they deploy applications. And so, you know, we're um, you know we're really excited about you know um, sort of the next phase of the HPE company, mm-hmm. you know, which is uh, all about supporting enterprise infrastructure customers. Now, obviously, storage has changed over the last few years wow. quite a bit. Yeah, it has. Um, what do you think? You know, we've all talked about mounting data and all of that kind of stuff. We don't need to rehash that territory. But what do you think is um, at the top of your customer's mind when it comes to storage? So, I mean, we're, we're in the midst of sort of a, te- a technology disruption cycle that was, you know, started four or five years ago around um, all-flash deployment, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and frankly, we had a great business model prior to that, right? We, we chalked a device full of spinning media that had a certain performance profile. You ran out of performance, we gave you another one, and it was a great business model. Along comes all flash, which changes the basic dynamics of the model because the performance and capacity are more closely aligned together, resulting in customers having to, um, you know, deploy fewer devices in their data centers. On top of that, we've compressed it, we deduped it, we cloned it, we've done all these sort of data compaction algorithms, which net-net means customers actually have to consume uh, less storage as a result. Now, one of the other things that happened when, when all flash started is is that a lot of entrants came into the market as, as they do, right? The startups start, they get there faster, customers are willing to pay a premium for what a startup can do. Mm-hmm. But over time, what customers tire, tire of is, uh, is additional devices in their data center. So we're sort of in the apex, I think, of that storage revolution. Customers are deploying all flash now, and, and you know, roughly 60 some percent of our customers have, have or will deploy an all flash solution in the data center. So now we're sort of entering into the, I would call the maturity cycle of that, when, when you can't just say all flash anymore. You have to say, okay, what is unique and compelling and different than all flash? You have to understand at the same time, customers are looking at data center versus non-data center deployment, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the web properties are, are, are certainly the rage. Um, understood or not understood, customers are saying, hey, how do I deploy at least a web front end or a web focus, and then how do I actually manage the, the sort of migration or the federation between what's in my on-prem solution and what's outside my on-prem solution. So all those things are sort of, you know, exciting changes to the storage business, and, and frankly, there's far fewer competitors than there were uh, because the, as the market matures, competitors don't, you know, competitors don't make it. So, so when, you, when you think about, you, you brought up, you know, the interesting um, prospect of, you know, off-domain storage and, and the the need to have a more sophisticated approach, maybe where data is kept. Yeah. Um, how does HPE see that as a strategic partner to your customers going through the the journey of really understanding which data should be kept on-prem, which data can be kept up in the cloud, which data may need to go into some sort of edge um, installation for easier access at the point of... Uh, the device or customer. Yeah, so I think, you know, as, as HP sort of is formulated into this new company focused on enterprise infrastructure, um, we too are changing, you know, sort of to a, uh, uh, you, know, trans, you know, helping customers with the transformative experience versus just them selling them raw iron, right? We go mm-hmm. from an arms merchant to sort of a, a you know, a, certainly a, a consultant. The purchase of companies like uh, CTP, the Cloud Technology Partners, mm-hmm. gives us you know, a unique, unique advantage because these are guys who are, who are, are, are folks who have focused on guiding customers about 
where to deploy and how to deploy and what stacks deploy where. So I think that's, that's something that's unique about our solution. The second thing that's unique is customers really demand choice. You know, um, I don't know about you, but any, when the streaming video services in my house are not working, Mrs. Philbin gives me a call. It's almost <laughs> at the point where the video streaming service is considered almost a utility without the government regulation and without the sort of assurances that utilities had when I grew up as a, as a kid, right? The, the telephone always worked, right? right? That is the demand that we have for, um, you know, web-based services. And so customers want to make sure that for business-critical applications that, that those decisions that they make and how they sort of migrate data back and forth is a, actually a well-thought-through experience. We hear as many stories of customers going to the web mm-hmm. as customers leaving the web to go back to the data center. And, right. and, and you know there's a couple of really big you know, customers out there who have sort of migrated off a web-based property and have migrated back into their data center. Our job is to help customers with that, with that transformative experience. Now, are human engagement associated with what is the right infrastructure and what is the right solution uh-huh. um, is critical. Yeah. But we also see the introduction of artificial intelligence and in helping right. guide this in real time. Tell me about what HP is doing there. So one of the things that we've, we're announced here, here in Madrid is, you know, we purchased a company called Nimble, Nimble Storage around uh, seven months ago. And in addition to sort of helping us fill out our all-flash portfolio, one of the interesting things that came with Nimble as they thought about the company was this capability called InfoSight. What InfoSight really does in, in, in most simplex, simplistic terms is it examines a rich set of telemetry that, that phones home on a, on a regular basis from, uh, from the storage that you deploy. They deploy data scientists and AI to look at um, use cases that customers are struggling with and actually push a solution out to the customer today. Now, that is a passive push in the sense that it's a, an alert. Uh, it's sort of like the red light on, on, in your car dashboard, mm-hmm. right? You know there's a problem. You don't know exactly what the problem is. What we're announcing here at the show is a recommendation engine. In addition to the red light going on, there's a set of recommendations of what you can do to or, essentially to get the red light to go out. Where that technology will evolve is in two places. One is not only will we red light, offer recommendations, but we'll actually change with your permission change and fix the solution so it's not only self-aware, but it's self-healing. It's wonderful. And that's sort of what, you, what your experience of web property is. When you slide a credit card, you said, I want 10 terabytes of storage, you no longer have to worry about the storage not working. As far as you're concerned, you just make sure the I.O. is happening, right? So that's sort of experience, um, you know, experience number one. Experience number two, it's not limited to storage. They're, they're, if you really think about sort of customer deploying applications, they care less about you know flux capacitors and and you know you know Google flops of of something. They care about hey, did, how fast can I deploy an app? Is that app running? Is it meeting my SLAs, etc.? That is a very very difficult pro- proposition uh, when that is not working correctly. How do we sort of help customers isolate? Uh, and manage and gain efficiencies around their, the way they deploy applications. That's the second big ver- version of AI. So what we announced here at the show is effectively AI for the data center, basically creating smart products that go into data centers that allow you to sort of um, achieve the sort of you know, ex- product experience and, 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 and experience transfer of the customer, do that in a way that's not, you know, that we've not deployed before. So that's essentially uh, you know, where we're headed with AI. What's the customer response been to that so far? Uh, it's, you know, so, you know, 
customers, when you talk to them about sort of the problem, and I often relate it to uh, the revolution that's happening, uh, we call it white coats to t-shirt and jean revolution, mm -hmm. right? Before we would deploy data centers, we'd deploy a bunch of people in white coats who knew how to turn all the knobs and hook all the cables to the right locations, and they could actually get the stuff to operate. Well, in today's world, those white coats, there are fewer of them, and more people in the t-shirt and jeans who never had to sort of go in and, and assemble the hardware, who simply want to sit in a hypervisor environment and say, please deploy application, or please sort of, uh, you know, let me consume storage, et cetera. That, our ability to offer that experience is what customers are really, are really uh, interested in. So I think the feedback thus far is, 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 is pointed. The second, and I call this sort of the, the, the popcorn button, Revolution now here in Europe. There's there are no popcorn buttons on your microwave. So if you're listening <laughs> as your European customer, this will you know only add to your your uh, your thought process that Americans are slovenly, right? <laughs> but the, in the United States, there's a popcorn button, and you stick a bag of popcorn in a microwave popcorn, and you hit the popcorn button. The humidity is sort of examined inside the uh, inside the microwave, and the microwave shuts off automatically when it's done. That is the way I operate a pop popcorn. My job is between the commercial that's stopped the football game to the, and, and this is American mm -hmm. football, to the commercial that, you know, till the, the, the game mass starts again, I want the popcorn to be popped. Mrs. Philbin, on the other hand, so I want the easy button. Mrs. Philbin, on the other hand, will stand in front of the microwave. Three minutes in high, two minutes in medium, one minute in low. By the way, it's the same company who produces the popcorn. So same popcorn, same microwave. Usage model is entirely different because her desire is to pop every kernel in the bag. We, as an enterprise infrastructure provider, a provider of microwaves, if you follow along in this crazy analogy I'm mm -hmm. using, need to support both operational models. So for customers who want the easy button, an SMB customer, a customer without white coats, the t-shirt and jean revolution customers, we've got that product for you. Uh, and we're making InfoSight available not only on Nimble, but it's also announced here at the show, uh, available on 3PAR, and then a throughout your data center. For customers who want the, don't, who flip uh, the uh, adaptive cruise control off their car, who never would use a popcorn button, who really want to sort of get in-depth with the flux capacitors in your data center, we offer that solution for you. And the good news is you can go back and forth between them. So in a manner of speaking, you know, our job is to sort of provide solutions that meet what the customers are looking for, you know, uh, you know on demand. You asked me, you know, you know look at Intel. Mm -hmm. Intel are, is full of people, and we're, we're jointly dependent on one another, by the way. We, right? we're, we're kind of full of the flux capacitor. You have a lot of flux capacitor yeah, people, let's just right? be honest. <laughs> yes. But, and we're jointly dependent. Not only do we consume your solutions in our products, but you consume our solutions in building your products, right? Mm -hmm. So we have this very symbiotic relationship. But you're right. You're full of people who are... Who, who pride themselves on getting the most out of the, out of the storage, most out of the enterprise infrastructure, because that is what they believe their lot in life is, mm -hmm. to, is to do. You will never use our popcorn button. But if we can provide you insights that allow you to spend less time figuring out or, or getting uh, you know, shorter time to duration on figuring out a performance or other related problem, to spend, you, and spend more time evolving the next chipset, evolving the next mobile app, evolving the next whatever it is, then we have actually changed your business in a positive way. And that's what HP is trying to do for a customer like Intel in the same way you're trying to do for your, uh, for your customers with Intel-based technology. Now, and you, and you took me in the perfect place because the, the thing that I was going to ask you about yeah. is obviously the storage um, infrastructure 
um, involve some of the technology coming from Intel. And I wanted to ask you about the collaboration between the two companies in delivering these solutions to the market. And what's that, what's that like in terms of, you know, first architecting where you want to go with your infrastructure all the way through delivery into the market? So, you know, the, the relationship with Intel, I mean, we have a rich history between Hewlett Packard and, and uh, Intel, I mean, even from the earliest days of compute as we've moved off our own risk-based, you know, technology. Um, I, I, you know, it's been a very long-standing and a, and a very healthy relationship. Um, uh, at the same time, to some degree, we, all, we also compete for, for, for the same same customers in the market. So I, you know, I think there is a yin and yang in the, in the relationship. From a storage vendor perspective, um, the work that we do with Intel and, ob- and absolutely the, the learnings we get from them as you consume our product is, um, is a really, really, really strong experience. We, we would expect, for example, as, as the current flash revolution goes to a point where flash is actually sort of, um, you know, co-resident with compute, that there's additional work that we can do together to actually improve customer experience and give them a, a way of deploying storage that's radically different the way they are the way they mm-hmm. are today. So, Intel as a customer, Intel as a partner, you know, we're delighted really about um, about both solutions. And I happen to be the technical executive sponsor for Intel for storage, so I spend a lot of time with the storage people at Intel, and um, you know, I, it's a really it's a really great experience. I'm glad to hear it. We very much value the partnership that has been represented over the last few decades. Um, One final question for you, Bill. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that we've probably hit on a lot of interest. I mean, the popcorn analogy alone has probably pulled a few people in to finding out more about the the variety of solutions. Exactly. Um, Can you tell me where folks can go for more information about the storage solutions you're delivering? Easiest place to go is hp.com, and you'll see storage right... uh, You'll see storage from the, uh, from the get-go. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, you're more than welcome. Thank you for having me. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from HP Discover in Madrid, and I am delighted to be joined by Paul Miller, Vice President of Marketing, Software Defined, and Cloud at HPE. Welcome, Paul. Well, thank you for having me. Sorry, I've got a little cold here, so my voice is scratchy. It's it's day three of the conference, so I'm sure you're getting that immune response of any conference. It's exciting. Um, Thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule. why don't you just start by describing um, your view of the role that you've got at HPE around de- software defined and cloud? Okay. Yeah. So I head up marketing for, you know, we define a software defined, which is uh, the HPE OneView product, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, software that turns infrastructure into software defined through templatization and making it programmable through an API. Our SimpliVity offering, which is hyperconverged, so think about VM farms. Mm-hmm. Our composable infrastructure, which is Synergy. And then also what we announced here uh, yesterday uh, is OneSphere, which is our multi-cloud platform. That's a, that's a lot of different options yeah. for customers. <laughs> um, and I think that this all is enveloped in what you guys are calling hybrid IT. And I wanted to ask you what HP's 
HPE's vision is of hybrid IT and how the, all of the platforms and solutions that you just referenced fit in within that umbrella. Perfect. Yeah. So our view of hybrid IT is when we say hybrid IT, we mean, you know, both public and on-premises as well as the edge devices. And so it's all about, and our strategy in the portfolio we talked about, is making it simple for both on-premises as well as public environments. So we make it simple for on-premises with things like OneView, where people can stand up resources very, very quickly and easily through OneView. They program, they can get you know, their server, their storage, their networking up through a template and deploy it in minutes versus weeks. It also monitors the health of all the hardware so it's easy to provide that simplicity there. For VM farms, that's where SimpliVity comes in. And SimpliVity is unique in the marketplace in that it has built-in rich data services. So things like backup, DR, happen in minutes. In fact, we guarantee backing up over 1,000 VMs in less than 60 seconds. So really cool technology. So for anyone who's uh, managing a virtualization farm, SimpliVity is awesome at that. And then uh, our Synergy product, which is composable, and that allows customers to program and make it easy for any workload. So that's simplifying the on-premise side of the story. Okay. Oh, also at Azure Stack. Uh, I almost forgot about Azure Stack. Azure Stack is what we do with Microsoft mm -hmm. to make uh, that simple. So we've got a really great ProLine product that's very powerful, very scalable. Yeah, I would say it's the number one offering in the marketplace for Azure and Azure Stack in the marketplace. So that's what we do to simplify the on-premise. For simplifying multi-cloud and public, that's where OneSphere comes in. And OneSphere is all about managing across all your clouds, making it simple and easy to do that. When you talk to customers about um, where they're on in terms of journey to get everything moved to a software-defined state within a multi-cloud environment, where do you think folks are today, and what are the things that they're most concerned about, about those next steps along that journey? Right. So most people have stood up you know, their VM farm, and they, they label it a private cloud, mm -hmm. right? And they're starting to play with other private clouds, like Azure Stack, maybe some OpenStack. And then they're also in the public cloud, and most customers have one or more than one public cloud. Mm -hmm. And the problem that they are in their journey is they're all at a certain level of immaturity, and they're all disconnected. They're all running in silos, and they're struggling because now they're adding complexity into their data centers and across their data centers and into the public cloud. And so they're really struggling with how do I make it simpler as opposed to having you know all these separate private cloud stacks and public cloud stacks to manage. It's getting very complex for them. So they're looking for solutions now that help them you know, enable their developers to move faster, enable them to get a unified view across all their clouds. So that's how we see them. That's why we brought out OneSphere to address those issues in their journey as they start to think about, I'm not going to have one public cloud, I'm going to have multiple public clouds, I'm going to have multiple private clouds. You know, the, the thing that you mentioned earlier that is almost adding more complexity to this equation is the edge and the emergence of the edge. Yeah. Um, how do we, as an industry, ensure that as 
we grapple with this challenge of fragmentation of private cloud services, multiple public clouds, not really an, a, an overall umbrella managing and, and um, guiding at all. How do we not create an exacerbation of the problem yeah. with the integration of edge? Yeah, and that's where integration of the edge has to be software defined. Mm -hmm. We have to look in and start and stop managing server technology, edge devices as pieces of hardware, but they uh, make them programmable. And once you start making programmable, you can start to you know, simplify management through scripting, through templates, through software-defined structures. So you know, that's, I think, the next phase of taking these intelligent edge devices and then making them simple through software-defined constructs. And you talked about workload comp composability. Why is that so critical for the enterprise? So work as, a, as an enterprise grow and their needs are changing. They need to be able to dynamically set up the workloads that their developers need. You know, developers don't want to be waiting around for infrastructure. They don't want to wait around for someone to submit a trouble to get them the exact infrastructure they need. With composability, within minutes, whatever developer wants, you can compose the exact compute storage and fabric that's needed for that workload. And then when they no longer need it, put it back into a pool of resources. You know, today people are over-provisioning, you know, by 30, 40, 50% sometimes mm -hmm. because they never know what the developer's going to need or want. Now with the composability, instead of having to use screwdrivers and manual processes to give them the infrastructure they want, you simply program it in. Composable infrastructure gives you those elements automatically, and it's easy. And because you can provision it quickly mm -hmm. and then put it back in the pool, you don't need to over-provision as much either. So you reduce the overall capacity that you need to have in your data centers. Now, you mentioned Azure Stack, and obviously yeah. the, I think the entire industry is celebrating the arrival of Azure Stack <laughs> in the marketplace. Um, tell me a little bit about HPE's engagement with Microsoft and what you're delivering uh, to customers. Yeah. So we have a complete Azure Stack appliance built on our DL380, mm -hmm. which is the most popular server in the world, bar none. Um, it's very, very powerful. What we do differently there is because it's got powerful technology inside, uh, customers can get similar performance with less nodes. Mm -hmm. And so that means they're spending less, they're taking up uh, less space in their data center. So it's a really great, great solution that get customers up and running quickly. The other thing we're doing uniquely with Microsoft is we have a, uh, a center of competence that we've established together where customers can come to there and run their workloads on HP's Azure Stack and then see how they also perform in Azure. So this enables customers to really test drive on the HP gear before they buy. So making it simple for them to understand the performance characteristics and what they're going to see. And now you talked about multi-cloud environments. What's the process by which you work with customers to identify those workloads um, that should remain on-prem or within a private cloud environment and which ones they should consider for public cloud? Right. So this is where our recent acquisition of cloud technology partners, also known as CTP, these guys are the experts. They have tools, kits that they run in customer environments, analyzing the application to determine, you know, is it right for the cloud? 
And then, you know, how much will it cost to move to the cloud? Because even though some uh, applications might be right for the cloud, the economics of getting them there may be cost prohibitive. So they understand all the different dynamics, the business policies. Some workloads may work in the cloud from an application side, but the business policies require governance, security, compliance, they be done on premise. They're experts at all this, so we sit down and work with customers, go through their entire workload, and then really give them, you know, we call it the right mix. The right mix of, that's their unique right mix of what should be run in a cloud and on premise. That's fantastic. Now, I know that you guys are working um, with folks at Intel to help deliver this technology. Tell me a little bit about that collaboration. Yeah, so Intel's been a super collaborator on composable infrastructure. And what we've been doing with Intel is really, because composable is different because you can compose it quickly for all the workloads, doing a lot of workload characterization and understanding with customers how they want to use uh, uh, the technology to optimize the workloads within their data center. Uh, Synergy was designed to enable them to run simple VM workloads, containers, bare metal, big in-memory databases, everything. So we really worked with Intel on multiple customer roadshows to really understand you know, what customers are looking for, then how this technology plays out. And this partnership has been a great success. In the last uh, nine months, 10 months since we've been shipping Synergy, we have now over 1,000 customers. Oh, that's fantastic. It's the fastest growing new category ever you know, it's mm -hmm. been faster than hyperconverged, faster than any category that has been, you know, in the server industry. Uh, and a lot of that is the collaboration with Intel. Intel's been a great supporter, doing a lot of workload uh, work, mapping with us to make sure that, you know, customers have a great experience with the technology. Paul, we're at the edge of being in a new year. As you look forward to 2018, what would you tell your customers who are listening online about um, what they should be planning for next year? So I think if you're not already software-defined, get software-defined. Use technologies like OneView, Hyperconverge, to get yourself software-defined. You know, uh, IDC did a lot of work as well as 451. Well-run data centers that are using software-defined technologies can actually run cheaper than the public cloud. Most people don't believe that, right? but it's true. There's multiple papers on that. So if you're not using those technologies, start adopting them. Next, start mapping your multi-cloud strategy, right? And how you understand which workloads go, like we talked about, and then managing across uh, your multi-cloud environment so that you can simplify your day-to-day -day life and then make life happier for your developers who want to access all the resources. And that's where, again, a tool like OneSphere can help. Final question for you. For those who are listening online who would like to learn more about the solutions that you talked about, where would you send them for more information? I'd go to hp.com, and uh, we have a, a website set up for all our software to find. Uh, I would just go there and uh, easy to find, just on hp.com, software to find. Thank you so much for your time today, Paul. Thanks. It's been a pleasure.
Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from HPE Discover in Madrid, and I am delighted to be joined by Christine Frank, Director of Worldwide IoT Industry Partnerships at HPE. Welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here today. So, Christine, why don't we just start and talk about um, your role at HPE and what your organization is responsible for in terms of delivering solutions for IoT? Sure, absolutely. So, I work for the Worldwide Connect IoT program. I'm the Worldwide Director, as we talked about specifically. I manage the ecosystem within HPE. So, when you look at um, the world of IoT, when well, let me let me back up a little bit. Why don't you tell me a little bit about HP's vision for IoT solutions uh, for the enterprise? So enterprise is actually not my focus generally. My, my focus is more actually on the OT side of the business. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because where the data insight comes from mm -hmm. is from the IIoT side. It does not come from necessarily the enterprise. However, the integration of OT and IT and what's happening, the convergence, that's where we have that intersection. So we take the business insight from the IT side, which mm -hmm. is the enterprise, and the data insight from the OT side and merge those together to really help customers develop solutions specifically geared towards their business so that they can improve processes mm -hmm. and uh, really not only improve processes but bring full insight because the data is where the value is and the data that we get insight from is really more on the OT side. So, so tell me about what industries are moving the fastest in this space. Yeah, absolutely. So if we take a look at some of the industries that are moving pretty rapidly right now, it, besides smart cities, which a lot of people mm -hmm. talk about, um, the industries that are moving is really manufacturing, Mm -hmm. Process control, factory automation, discrete automation, building automation is a really great one because that encompasses not only smart cities, but also energy management, mm -hmm. facilities management. You can also tie in security as well as the overall complete uh, customer experience in a building. Mm -hmm. So that's that's one that's moving very far. The other one that's really exciting to me right now is, is it was if we start looking at the utility space and substations. So the substation market is, is kind of unique. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys are aware, but a few, about four or five years ago, there was actually a substation that was infiltrated or, well, it was attacked. What happened is, is that the two fiber connections that were going into the substation were actually cut. That did not allow for communication. Well, I don't know if you know, but if you can't communicate to a substation, it actually causes it to be a, a problem with the federal government and security. Mm -hmm. So it's a security <laughs> issue. So what happened was, is there was a federal mandate that came out that actually said that you, thou shall have redundant power and communication inside of your substation. So right now, we're actually working with a group of partners to create solutions to do substation monitoring, to approach that market to actually help them. So if they won't ever have that problem of not being able to communicate into a substation. Um, and what it allows them to do is collect the data that's out there, have the, inside of our gateways, you actually have the ability to uh, use a, a cell router mm -hmm. so that you can always have communication, but what we've done with our partners, which is OSI Soft, 
Intel is obviously in there as well. Um, we have V5 and also uh, Wonderlic Malik. And what we've done is we've created this solution called the VIP Tower. The, the tower has backup power on it. Mm -hmm. So now you have redundant communication. So if the fiber gets cut, you can still get in through cellular communication as well as we have redundant power that can run up to seven days. So we're really looking at that market as a, a, a really scalable one because if you think about it, every, every city has a substation mm -hmm. and they have to be monitored. And if you think about it from a worldwide perspective, I believe the numbers, it's over 20 million different substations out That's there crazy. in the marketplace. Now you talked about something really interesting which is the, the convergence of OT and IT. Correct. Which are two groups that have not traditionally worked together um, day in and day out as, as closely as maybe they need to today. What is HPE's role and the industry's role in, in bridging those worlds and getting um, the maximum value out of IoT solutions? Collaboration. Mm -hmm. That's the big one. Data is all around us. How we see and look at the data is what makes the difference. So if we, we talk about the convergence, look, OT guys don't want you in their, in their business, as we say, up, mm -hmm. in their, up in their business. There's a lot of reasons for that. Not all data is created equal. And what I mean by that is if you look at the data that the IT folks are traditionally used to looking at, that data is used for email, communications, business. The data out on the factory floor or in a process is about moving things, is about creating things. That data is, can be, needs to be secured for a couple of reasons. Safety is one of the biggest ones, right? Mm -hmm. So, but the thing is, is all that data has always been there. And IO, IOT, IIOT, Industry 4.0, the marketing calling it is, is new, but the insight from that data isn't. The difference is, however, what's happened is, is all that data has been collected, but nobody had the compute power to actually do anything with it and take and gain from that insight. Mm -hmm. So from an HPE perspective, why are we valuable? Because we give the ability for that convergence of the OT and the IT guys to start talking because they need us when it comes to that compute power and the insight from the business aspect of cybersecurity. A lot of people are talking about the edge and the edge means different things to different Absolutely. people. Absolutely. What's your view? So the edge to me really means the end units or the end points. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you take a look at um, from the ERP system all the way down to, as we call it, level zero in my world, mm -hmm. in the OT world, we don't call it the edge, right? Those are those things that you are actually connected to. So it's the last thing in the line. That's where I look at where the edge is. Now there's, like you said, different people talk about it in different ways. But that's the difference between OT speak and IT speak. Mm -hmm. And I speak OT. <laughs> when you think about the solutions that HPE is bringing to market, um, obviously there's an, with the convergence that we're talking about going on, there's an opportunity for tech innovation. What are you seeing in terms of um, new solutions coming to market that really change the game? artificial intelligence, machine, uh, machine learning types of application software is one of the big ones. But cybersecurity as well on the OT side. So let's step back in, in, in time for a moment and, and ask ourselves, how did Target happen? It happened because somebody went in through the HVAC system, 
which was never meant to be connected to the internet. So think about OT. Most of the equipment out on the factory floor doesn't get changed over every five years, 10 years, 20 years. They may have an ethernet port on it, but guess what, it was never meant to be connected. So as we take a look at that, that information of, of Target and cybersecurity, if they would have had the ability to actually monitor the protocols that are used in industrial, which we call BACnet in, in HVAC systems, they would have been able to actually see the anomalies. There would have been no way for anyone to backdoor into Target in order to get into their financial systems. But because people weren't thinking about it, I believe that's going to be one of the greatest innovations as we move forward. And we're partnering with different folks that are actually creating solutions around cybersecurity, mm -hmm. as well as artificial intelligence to monitor how many times somebody opened up that HVAC door mm -hmm. <laughs> so that they can tell you, hmm, seems sort of funny that every Tuesday someone seems to be opening that cabinet. Did we give authorization for that to happen? Interesting. What other areas of artificial intelligence do you see in terms of use cases that are interesting in this space? Well, medical is obviously one, mm -hmm. and we've got several different partners that are, are starting to look at um, genome codes and different medical data analysis specifically on patients. I think that's very, very interesting. I'm not as deep into that, but it interests me. The other areas of artificial intelligence that we see is really smart machines. Mm -hmm. So them getting smarter and being able to create around predictive maintenance is a really good one, right? You need to have that artificial intelligence in order to keep looking at the data and gaining from it and learning so that in the end we can do prescriptive maintenance. What do I mean by that? So in the old days of factor automation and process control or actually any industry when you have assets or equipment, you didn't have the ability to just monitor them and know when something was going to break. So you would set up maintenance schedule whether that's a hospital bed, whether that's an HVAC system, whether that's a factor automation printing press. People would go out there. They'd look at the machines. They'd say, I don't know, it's not broken, but I'll fix it or I'll work on mm -hmm. it. Sometimes you don't fix things just because, because it actually can affect the quality or the, the asset itself. Mm -hmm. So having the ability to do artificial intelligence tied into predictive maintenance, now you send people out to the equipment when there's actually a, uh, something that's noticed, an anomaly, detecting it prior to it going into a catastrophic event. Much better than sending a bunch of workers out there to tap on machines and check to see if the oil's still there. That's a fantastic example. Now, you mentioned that Intel is working with you in this space. Um, what is the collaboration with Intel like in terms of the technology that's being brought together from both companies? Yes, so definitely. So we're working specifically with Intel on all different types of use cases out on the market space. We're working with the folks in the manufacturing sector. We're working with the guys in the financial sector. But what that uh, collaboration between Intel and HPE really is doing is being able to bring to our customers, both sides, the best-in-class products and the best solutions available on the market space today. And without Intel, we wouldn't be able to do that because to have compute power, that's what we have to do. So, so we're headed into a new year. Um, obviously, this space has been 
one of incredible focus in 2017. What are you looking forward to next year in terms of new technology, new innovations, new opportunities? So I think what's really going to happen is you're going to start seeing these use cases really being deployed out there in the market space, whether that's factor automation, process control, medical. You know, the last two years, if you look at the market, people were really just starting to plan. Now you're actually seeing execution and the dollars being, uh, or not the dollars, but what they're seeing is they're seeing return on their investments coming back to them twofold, whether it's in a maintenance type of scenario through predictive maintenance or maybe it's asset management. I think some of the, the more innovative things that we're also going to see is going to be in the transportation industry, specifically around um, connected vehicles. I really do think there's going to be more safety integrated into vehicles. You know, I also believe that there's going to be over-the-road trucking in the next few years that's really going to um, move forward with that autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, those are some of the things that I'm excited to see. But really, what excites me more than anything is the opportunity to work with customers from end-to-end -end solutions. And where we're moving is, is really having the ability to help customers really take insight from the data that they're pulling from. So... Christine, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. One final question for you. If folks want to find out more about the IoT solutions HPE is delivering to the marketplace, um, where should they go for more information? Yeah, absolutely. You can check us out on the web at www.hpe.com forward slash IoT. Thanks so much for being here today. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from HPE Discover in Madrid, and I'm very excited to have Susan Blocker, VP of Hybrid Infrastructure Marketing from HPE with us today. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. It's been uh, an interview that I've been looking forward to having. Um, why don't we just get started, and, and can you just describe your role at HP and how that relates to HPE's delivery of um, what you guys are calling hybrid IT? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm the vice president of marketing for HPE's hybrid IT business. And really, when you think about HPE and our focus, it is around helping make hybrid IT simple. That was a huge theme that we uh, talked about here in Discover Madrid this week. And so um, my role is really to bring that to life and to, talk, to tell the stories that demonstrate how we're helping customers with our technology to deliver business outcomes and drive competitive advantage. I think that one thing that's spoken to me this week as I've hear, heard the talks from executives and seen some of the demonstrations is just evidencing how quick technology innovation is really moving yes. when it comes to you know, new applications, new use cases, new ways that we can apply this IT infrastructure into driving business forward or solving problems. Um, I was really intrigued by the... Um, announcement today that HPE made with the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. Can you tell me about that? Well, 
it's it's really about um, using our technology to um, to help uh, aggregate all of the data that uh, that exists um, from many many sources about um, uh, missing and exploited children, and then enabling law enforcement and agencies like the uh, NICMEC, mm -hmm. uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to um, more rapidly analyze that data, um, understand you know, what's happening, maybe make connections um, between missing children and you know, families or between um, criminals and, and, and what we're seeing around missing children so that they can make those connections. And I think that's um, really about all of the incredible um, data and uh, analytics technology that we, we bring to bear. And talk about a customer that feels incredibly important in terms of helping with an IT solution. Um, you know, one thing that I heard is that their storage requirements double every year. That's right. Which is kind of sad because it tells you how many images they're collecting That's right. on an annual basis. How did HPE approach um, what infrastructure to provide to drive um, the capabilities forward for NICMEC? Well, um, with NICMEC, you know, on average, uh, they log about 450,000 missing children every year. Um, uh, on average, or, or cases of missing children, all of that data has to be captured along with, um, you know, all of the information about those children, where they come from, their families, you know, what the circumstances are. Um, it's a huge data requirement. And so it was really about looking at the specific unique needs of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and determining what kind of Hewlett-Packard Enterprise technology, um, storage equipment, um, you know, analytics capability they would need to really help them do what they do. Now, I would assume um, that privacy of data is incredibly important to them. Is there any particular technology that we're applying here? Yeah, well... Um, we are um, really proud to have innovated in the area of infrastructure security, especially with our HPE uh, Gen 10 server platform. So we've created a truly unique silicon root of trust um, security technology that ensures that nothing um, can compromise the firmware so that our servers will always boot up, um, you know, a clean, uh, trusted environment for mm -hmm. managing uh, businesses and, and managing data and things like that. Um, and if anything were to uh, impact the firmware, the servers would recognize that and not boot up. So you really um, can avoid things like ransomware attacks, which are you know, very visible in today's world, unfortunately. Um, and HPE has really found a way to help um, mitigate the risks of, of those kind of cybersecurity attacks. Now, this is yet another example of Intel HPE collaboration. It is. Um, tell me why this made sense to do together. Well, um, honestly, it requires uh, 
co-engineering mm -hmm. between uh, Intel and HPE in order to bring this kind of innovation to life. So our, um, our companies have been working together for many, many years. Um, over the last, it's taken really the last two years to develop the security, uh, infrastructure security capabilities that we were able to launch as part of the new Intel Xeon scalable processors mm -hmm. and the HPE 10th generation of ProLiance servers, we are really able to um, not only deliver a world-class server system, but, um, but truly deliver the world's most secure industry standard servers. Now, what's interesting about NICMEC, and, and I heard them speak a while ago, is that not only are they maintaining this database of images, but they're also applying artificial intelligence to do things like aging of yes. um, uh, missing children to aid in the um, yes the discovery of these missing children. Yes, they do more than six thousand per year uh, modeling of of children in terms of aging, what they uh, would look like, you know, in today relative to what they looked like when they went missing. And um, that's a huge advantage for law enforcement to help identify those children and find them and, and, and be able to recognize them. So uh, analytics and artificial intelligence is an essential tool in addition to just being able to manage all that data, but to really use analytics to um, find trends in the data, maybe recognize when there are patterns to multiple children missing from a particular area or something that will lead to breakthroughs in helping find those children. Well, hats off on the announcement today. Um, I'm excited to hear more about what this organization is able to do with the new technology that they're receiving and the help um, from HPE and Intel to put that technology to good use. Obviously, we learn from these types of experiences in terms of what the technology is capable of. How do you see this applying to the broader market? Well, you know, it, it, it's so interesting because here um, this week we heard from Stephen Hawking of the Cosmos Group talking about how they're using real-time analytics and artificial intelligence um, to on our supercomputing technology to unlock the mysteries of the universe from the first moments of the Big Bang on. Um, and that's just one example, but we're helping um, research Alzheimer's disease um, and, and accelerating cures for Alzheimer's. Um, obviously, the National Center for, for um, Missing uh, Children is, uh, you know, a, a great opportunity. We see the applications in every single in industry for cloud computing, for artificial intelligence, for uh, edge computing and the internet of things. It's really a transformational time to be in the industry and it's just an honor and I'm, I'm so proud to be able to help be a part of applying it to things that matter in the world mm -hmm. like NICMEC. Well, and you went with Stephen Hawking, which, I mean, 
Yeah. That's a that's a nice example of yes. a technology in action and, and giving something to the world in terms of new insight. That's right. Susan, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. One final question for you. If folks listening online want to learn about more about HPE solutions, where should they go to find out more information and connect with your team? I mean, super easy. HPE.com is absolutely the right place to go. And from there, a very intuitive interface into everything that we do um, in terms of helping customers make hybrid IT simple. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Welcome to Chip Chat. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you live from HPE Discover in Madrid, and I am delighted to be joined by Bob Moore, Director of Server Software and Product Security at HPE. Welcome, Bob. Great. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate that. So, Bob, why don't you just get started by introducing uh, the scope of your organization at HPE and how that relates to the organization's broader charter. Right. So, uh, within the hybrid infrastructure or hybrid IT group, we have the server division. Uh, the volume server group is where I happen to be, and I run the organization that develops all the server software for that and also deploys the security technologies throughout those uh, products, in particular the server products, which means we've got responsibility for the uh, partner software because it's all part of a big, bigger ecosystem that helps us uh, leverage our capabilities uh, more broadly, as well as the software that we developed uh, internally, which is typically ILO and, and a few others, ILO, ILO Amplifier, Insight Control, and a few of those that are internally developed by HPE. Um, I also uh, productize or uh, uh, develop into our products, integrate into our products, the security technologies as we see certain uh, threats existing in the uh, cybersecurity space that need to be addressed. We then roll in new product types, that, uh, new, new technologies that will help protect customers from those really aggressive cybersecurity threats. Now, obviously, the workload complexity and the, the breadth of workloads running in data centers today is just growing bigger and bigger. How do you guys approach uh, performance optimization and application optimization and um, ensuring that you're hitting the mark for the applications that are most valued by your end customer? Right. So what we work with, uh, you're right, there certainly are a myriad of uh, workloads and applications. And we've been trying to go to market largely by uh, verticals that help address a lot of those unique different uh, workloads that uh, customers have. And then we work broadly with the ecosystem to make sure that we're uh, partnering and delivering the right solutions that address the either performance, because every customer is a little bit different and their workloads are either constrained by uh, performance or, or maybe they're cost sensitive or they have uh, more complexity issues that they're working with. So we are pretty good about identifying what those workloads are, those uh, technologies that we need to bring to market, in a lot of cases working with Intel to help address those. They're particularly pronounced in certain vertical, mar uh, vertical markets, and, and we've worked collaboratively with Intel to, to help address those and, and provide unique solutions to address those uh, specific concerns customers have. Now, I've heard you guys talk about um, something called HPE Intelligent System Tuning. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about that? Sure, and thanks for bringing that up, because that's one of those good examples of where we're really targeting some workloads that can benefit 
uh, from some of these new technologies, and in particular this one because we worked it with uh, collaboratively over my group did actually over the last couple of years with Intel in determining what we needed to do to provide um, uh, workloads in particularly uh, the IS or the uh, uh, FSI space, uh, financial uh, space, that would help alleviate some of the. Uh, jitter or the undeterministic frequency that those FSIs experience, and uh, are diff and and are are really difficult for them to deal with that. They're looking for a deterministic frequency, and so we worked with Intel, and by uh, reading some of the signals coming through on the processor, we were able to actually dampen that jitter out. It's kind of a fluctuation when you jump up into the turbo mode because they want the fastest. This particular workload needs the fastest uh, performance, and you jump up into the higher turbo modes, and you get this oscillation or almost a sinusoidal wave function effect. Mm -hmm. And what we've done now is been able to dampen that out. So it's really bringing the best of two uh, groups together and the best minds of both Intel and HPE uh, by reading that, we're dampening it out. And that's one of the actual three things that we do uh, as part of IST. Tell me a little bit about the technologies that can help deliver that more deterministic performance that the yeah. FSIs are looking for. Yeah, so the technology is uh, HPE, intellectual property, uh, that we've patented that uh, uh, dampens or determines when the frequency is going to shift uh, and then proactively uh, avoids that shifting in the frequency. And the reason that's so helpful is because as the frequency is shifting, then that uh, particular FSI is not able to conduct the trade, and if you're in high-frequency trading, you want to be trading in the milliseconds, and you can't afford any latency or inability to make a trade because the frequency is shifting, and so we've been able to flatline, sort of speak, that oh, cool. frequency. Yeah, and so they're always, always, always able to make that trade, whereas in the past it was coming up and down, and every time you went like in a peak or a valley, they couldn't make the trade because what's happening is it's processors looking for the next point where it's going to go to, and, and they can't make the trade right then, and so they could miss out. And, you know, the research we have in that particular workload is a millisecond or two losses, tens of millions of dollars right. in trades because they're just trading as, as quickly as they possibly can. Um, and, and then we went, you know, one step further and worked on uh, the ability to boost the frequency. Core boosting is what we call mm -hmm. it. That's the second uh, piece of intelligent system tuning it by raising up the... Uh, uh, T TDP, uh, we can actually keep the T case or, or cool it to the right uh, capability or right level to increase the, the uh, TDP and the frequency. And by doing that, we're actually going up into the leveraging the Intel turbo mode, but keeping more cores on active. So we have the ability to let customers either be downbend a little bit and boost up into a higher uh, frequency with more cores on actively and therefore avoid some of the heavy um, licensing fees that we mm -hmm. see that are by the core count. Uh, or just have the flexibility to boost up if the trading demand, for example, goes up and they need really increased performance for a short period of time, like during the middle of the uh, daytime trading, they can boost up and get that higher, uh, you know, 10, 15% higher performance, which, you know, every little bit helps, and particularly in the FSI arena, that increased performance helps. You combine that with this jitter, jitter smoothing, and we have a real compounded uh, benefit for this particular workload in the FSI market. And we worked on that with Intel for, gosh, it's been at least a couple, two, two and a half, maybe three years to be able to figure out how to do this exactly. And the team's meeting virtually every week on 
figuring this out, we now are delivering and have productized it and are now shipping these new intelligent system tuning SKUs based on the Intel latest processor where they can jump up in the turbo mode, dampen out the jitter so that they have deterministic frequency and then also have more cores on in an active mode in a higher frequency state. That's fantastic. What a great story about joint innovation. Um, I want to shift focus for a second. Uh, earlier this year, um, HPE delivered their Gen 10 generation of servers, um, corresponding with Intel's uh, release of the next generation Xeon scalable processors. Processors, right. Uh, you came out with some really uh, important security features uh, with Gen we 10. Did. Can you tell me a little bit about those? Yeah, sure. Uh, happy to do that, actually. Gen 10 was a real new compute experience for our customers, and I was proud to be a part of delivering that. I've been in the IT industry for many, too many decades, more than I like <laughs> to tell you. But um, this is probably the biggest thing I've seen in at least a decade for our announcements, uh, and based on the new Intel processor. We've been delivering three components to the new Gen 10 compute experience, and that's agility, security, and economic control. And of course, we have a bunch of things. The IST we were just talking about goes into that agility column. And then we have economic control that's been part of our point next services that are very valuable. But the security was probably one of the bigger features and maybe the hallmark of the Gen 10 announcement because of some of the unique things that we're doing and, and also some of the things we're supporting collaboratively with Intel on their TXT security uh, technology. By doing this, and, and this is again part of a broader ecosystem of pulling all of these pieces together, we have been able to make the claim of the world's most secure industry standard server, which I think is really quite remarkable. And, and uh, not one thing for us to say that we're the world's most secure industry standard servers, but then we had an external third-party security pen testing firm verify that and validate that, so it was really uh, remarkable. Again, based on supporting uh, Intel's TXT, but then also our own internal uh, capability of having our own, because uh, like uh, the Intel processor is silicon, we also have our own HPE silicon, which is our ILO 5 silicon chip, and we actually design and build that, so we're able to anchor all of our firmware, the only server manufacturer that can anchor all the way down into the our own silicon by burning mm -hmm. the gates, opening the gates, and then anchoring that, we put like, a, you can think of it as a immutable fingerprint, and if that firmware then, if any virus or malware or ransomware is put into that firmware, which we see happening a lot these days, and it can stay in there for a long period of time before you know it's there, it changes the bits and bytes of that firmware, won't match up then, would not match up with the fingerprint that we've embedded in that silicon, our silicon, and then it won't allow the ser server to boot, and it'll actually do a recovery because we've saved off uh, in, in another lockbox location a safe uh, set of firmware, and it brings all that back. Not a lot of people realize that millions of lines of firmware code run before the operating system even turns on. Sure. So it's pretty, and it's a tro great place for a Trojan horse. If you were a hacker, you can put some viruses in there, and, and it would sit there for a long time before you, could, you would know that it was there. How has the customer response been to the new capabilities? I think it's been um, good. This, the security, honestly, is a difficult subject because cybersecurity is not something that um, uh, a decade or two ago that we were, it was, all that, was not all that prevalent because you had some college kids that were hackers. And you know what the problem is? Nowadays, we have uh, nation states that are involved in this, and you know some of them well that have been involved in some of the uh, U.S. elections, for example, mm -hmm. in the past. Every day, every 24 hours now, 
there are 720 million attack attempts. That's how, many, uh, how uh, severe it is. In 2019, there will be a ransomware infection into a company every 14 seconds. By 2021, cybersecurity cost to the world economy will be $6 trillion, which is more than the gross domestic product of Spain, France, and Italy combined, and actually a third of the GDP of the United States. It, cybersecurity is the largest transfer of wealth in the history of mankind, and also much more profitable and lucrative than the entire illegal drug trade around the world. So it really is this new dangerous frontier that's just gone up exponentially, and uh, we've responded to that with our new Gen 10 servers. When you look forward at 2018, we're coming to the end of another year. Um, what technologies is your team working on today that you're very excited about in terms of next wave of innovation coming? Well, we're going to, without going in and revealing a whole lot of uh, inside details, I can tell you that we're going to follow up on a lot of performance uh, enhancements to, uh, to our server products because that's been w really well received. And the server security has been well received. And I guess I didn't really answer your question fully. As we describe the security features that we have right now in our shipping to customers, once they get it and understand it and the cryptography that's involved and they get this uh, security education, uh, they almost immediately, I can tell you one customer that we were talking to him here today in Madrid, and they immediately uh, transitioned from Gen 9 to Gen 10 with the new Intel processor and uh, ordered several hundred of those, and along with that, a lot of our other security options that we offer. Therefore, you can bet that we're going to double down again on some of the security features in the future because we only see the, the situation getting more uh, desperate out there when it comes to cybersecurity threats. Bob, when you, when you look out at um, next generation, are there areas in the cybersecurity space that you think the in industry needs to move more quickly on? Yeah, I think... A big thing is gonna is getting to be uh, ransomware. Well, two things I'd say. One, we've seen a lot of security threats up in the data plane level. That's where the operating system and the applications run. But you know, we've strengthened those because we have scan tools and a number of things that in uh, operating systems are getting stronger now all the time. Uh, and so those hackers are now migrating down naturally. It was just only inevitable that they were going to migrate down into the firmware level. So we have to strengthen that. And we've done that with Gen 10, and we'll continue to do that and offer that. The second thing, though, I would say that we really see as a trend are these ransomware attacks that are so lucrative. And like I said, uh, every 14 seconds, every 14 seconds, a company will be infected by ransomware. And, you know, we don't want the, the even more damaging than paying the ransom, which we don't necessarily recommend doing, is the downtime that customers suffer through trying to recover from that rent and recover all their data. And so what you'll see us do, and we're talking about it a little bit here today at uh, HPE, this week at HPE Discover, is the ability to provide a facilitated recovery and restoration of the data. And the way that would work is, and, and, and is working and how we're demonstrating it is you get a ransomware attack and the first thing you do is you recover the firmware which is a basic building block elemental uh, feature in the server you re recover that so that you know you got good firmware and that ransomware is not hiding anywhere there then you can recover all of the settings that take days weeks months to set up initially that's all recovered automatically and then you go into the uh, a facilitated return or re restoration of the OS and applications through an ISO site, and we're leveraging our ILO amplifier, which is such a great tool to be able to do that. And then finally, some of our uh, storage capabilities, store once, nimble, uh, three-par, that have the ability to 
protect uh, the backup copy of data so that the ransomware virus cannot find it and then restore that quickly. In fact, the demonstration we have here today goes through the whole recovery fairly quickly and the data is brought back and I think the whole entire set uh, and recovery process takes about seven minutes, which is pretty remarkable. Companies can be down for days and weeks when they suffer ransomware. We're going to try to make sure that we facilitate a systematic orderly recovery so that it will be done uh, with minimal human intervention or human error, which sometimes happens, uh, and, and also without uh, having any complications because we have heard customers that after suffering a ransomware attack will recover the data only to find the ransomware still in the OS, and so they re-image the OS, and then they've wiped out their data copy that they have. So we have to really help out there. We see that uh, being our next step. And then finally, on top of that, culminating in the um, evolution of artificial intelligence and machine learning to help get ahead of the cybersecurity. And I think that's really going to start to manifest. You see it manifesting itself now with some of our security products uh, like Introspect from Aruba Networking, where you actually are monitoring the traffic using machine learning and looking at all the signatures and behavior inside the network. And you can actually quarantine uh, a user until they can be re-verified if it looks like it's a nefarious uh, actor. So I think that's the direction. And, and longer term, it'll be more and more of this artificial intelligence we'll be leveraging. That's fantastic. I'm sure that we've uh, piqued the interests of some of our listeners online to learn a, a little bit more about the solutions you've been talking about today. One final question for you. Where can folks find out more information about the solutions HPE is offering in this space and maybe do an evaluation of some of the technologies you've been talking about? Sure, absolutely. It's a fairly easy first step uh, we, on our HPE.com website. It's HPE.com forward slash security. We have a number of videos there. In fact, there's a great quick 15-second uh, ransomware video as well as uh, white papers and advice on how to recover from ransomware attacks and, and how to keep your... Uh, server infrastructure safe. So that, that'd be the first place to go. And then we even have a, an email, securityswat.com address if, that's listed there if they want some more information and want to try out some of the new technology. Bob, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Visit ChipChat online at intel.com slash chipchat. And for more information on data center technologies, visit intel.com slash bigdata, intel.com slash cloud, and intel.com slash data center optimization. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.